Hi there, we are list going to listen to <clears throat> a great discussion with you know. Politics Girl and Anthea Butler. What? Gets incredible news as Trump continues to sink lower. Four Oath Keepers are convicted of seditious conspiracy. Kevin McCarthy plans a big promotion for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Tucker Carlson says the quiet part out loud and much more. What's on? Oh, okay, we're going to start at the beginning. By the way, I'm being uh, geofence, so please. So please um, share my shit and fuck up their algorithm. Okay? My name is Trista. I'm a Midas Touch producer. <clears throat> and uh, good morning. It's a beautiful day. And we're going to listen to this awesome discussion with Politics Girl. What and you have here uh, is Professor Anthea Butler. Is, um, spiritual language being used for political ends. So the kind of thing where you talk about, you know, Trump being a. What you have here is language that is um, spiritual language being used for political ends. So the kind of thing where you talk about, you know, Trump being anointed. All of it is about trying to instantiate the fact that the Republican Party is chosen and that Democrats are basically demons. Politics go! Politics go! Politics go! Today's pod is a candid conversation with Professor Anthea Butler, who is the Geraldine R. Siegel Professor in American Social Thought and the Chair of Religious Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. A historian of African-American and American religion, Professor Butler's writing and research spans history, race, politics, evangelicalism, gender, sexuality, media, and pop culture. Professor Butler is also a contributor to the 1619 book, A New Beginning, with a chapter entitled Church, and the winner of last year's Martin Marty Award from the American Academy of Religion. A sought-after commentator, Professor Butler is an op-ed contributor for MSNBC, with articles featured in the New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, NBC, and The Guardian. She has also served as a consultant on many PBS series, including Billy Graham, The Black Church, and God in America. I'm having her on today to discuss some of the topics from her most recent book, White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America, and how evangelical racism, propelled by the benefits of whiteness, is attempting to take over our government and our country. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, award-winning professor, celebrated author, and one of our country's foremost experts on Christian nationalism, Anthea Butler. Welcome, Anthea. Nice to be here with you. Thank you for joining me. I know how incredibly busy and independent you are, so I really appreciate you taking the time to help us unpack some of what's going on in the country as it pertains to religion and nationalism and this kind of rising autocratic tendency of one of our democratically elected parties. We're pretty bad, I gotta say. It's pretty bad, Anthea, for sure. Now, I originally found your work when you were responding on Twitter to some people's comments about the increasing religious zealotry and strange behavior that they were witnessing at the Trump rallies that really had this kind of third Reich vibe. You know, people might remember the ones with all the people putting their fingers in the air and they had the sort of Sig Heil feel and the sweeping music and the anointed by God sentiment. And people were online and they were talking about the Reawaken America tour with General Michael Flynn and the Turning Point revivals with Charlie Kirk and the Republican candidates that were speaking at it. And you were responding to people like, yes, this is weird. You know, we shouldn't be downplaying 
yeah. this, uh, but we also shouldn't be looking at this as simply being weird or creepy or odd. We need to take it in context of a bigger picture. The fact that we clearly have this major faction of the Republican Party that's not only using religion to gain power, but is in itself morphing into some version of its own religion. You know, you've got Michael Flynn out here talking about being a country of one religion. You have Marjorie Taylor Greene openly calling herself a Christian nationalist. Yeah. Prominent Republicans like Laura Boebert are making speeches and saying things like, I believe there have always been two nations created to glorify God, Israel and the United States yeah. of America. And this nation will glorify God. And in that same speech, she said she was tired of the separation of church and state. And she called it junk. And that's exactly the same speech that she said that Trump had been anointed to the presidency. So this is radical stuff, especially coming from people who have incredible power to make our laws, to dictate our education, and to fund our government. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think, you know, just to back up and sort of put this in context for you, there's always been this kind of thing, except the language has become more prevalent and prominent and out in the press. So I think that's important to say. If we look at what's happening right now in the Republican Party, I would say that, you know, you could make the joke that the inmates have taken over the asylum, but this is not what I want to say. What I really want to say is the religion has taken over the party, and the party is a religion. And so I think that's important for people to understand, because when you hear people like Lauren Boebert say, you know, I want to throw out church and state, I mean, she's talking about Thomas Jefferson here. We're talking about you know, the separation between church and state, that has always been something that, you know, the founders and the framers wanted, but clearly these people don't want it anymore. So I think the first thing to understand is that this is radical talk, right? All of it is radicalization. The second is, is that they don't see Christian nationalism as a problem. As a matter of fact, they are very nationalistic Christians, but except the way that that reads is it's white Christianity, right? And it reads a certain kind of American Christianity. The third thing is, and I think this is really important, what you have here is language that is um, spiritual language being used for political ends. So the kind of thing where you talk about, you know, Trump being anointed, you know, I don't know if you remember back when Trump was elected, they called him King Cyrus, all of these kinds of, you know, terminologies, the kind of crazy art they had with, you know, Jesus standing behind and hugging Trump, and I'm like, this is kind of weird, y'all. It's about trying to instantiate the fact that the Republican Party was chosen and that Democrats are basically demons. Instantiate and, in order. And, and, and the demonic kind of language especially is dangerous because what you have are, are people who are susceptible to conspiracy theories and mm -hmm. other things that are making them, you know, go batshit, to be quite honest. And I think that's where we have a big issue. Yeah, a huge issue. I saw a woman on TikTok yesterday saying that Trump was the Archangel Uriel, you know, and she was very serious oh, wow. about it. Oh, no, she's serious. Um, very serious. She was very serious, you know. And, and I think the thing is what we have to look at is that these people that are talking like this, people like Bobert, used to be fringe, right? They used to be one of the, the fringe characters. And now they yeah. have moved squarely to the base, right? She is one of the main voices in the Freedom Caucus, the group yeah. of the House that includes people like Matt Gates, Paul Gosar, Mo Brooks, Andy Biggs. These are extremists that seem to have no interest in governing or government in general. And yeah. these are the people that now have complete control over House leadership after mm. getting Speaker McCarthy to agree to every single one of their demands and then some for their votes. But yeah. these 20 some odd people are not just disruptors or in it for power and control, which of course they want, 
but there's a religious element to it. It's not just nationalism. It's not even just white nationalism. It is Christian nationalism. And people need to understand that Christian nationalists, they adhere to this strong sense of moral traditionalism, which fits in perfectly with the conservative base, right? And they're more comfortable with authoritarian control as a way of maintaining order because their, their lives are already set up in this kind of patriarchal, top-down, controlled... And that can ultimately lead to a sense of superiority over others who do not conform, right? Christian nationalists believe that government should be in the hands of real Americans. And the real Americans are defined by this kind of ethno-religious category that usually means white Christian conservatives. And they function under this idea that non-Christians, and more often than not, non-white Americans, are in danger. Uh, they are dangerous to them and their way of life. But you've written that you don't even have to be white, that there are many that you point out in your book, White Evangelical Racism, there are many non-white Americans who support this movement, but you believe that they're motivated by what you call the promise. Conservative religious ideals, which you might... right and it's just like how can you have proud boys that are not you're not white how can yeah. you have tax you know people who the church rather black, right and i just want to mention the black man that attacked the Capitol. he got more um time than everybody else i'm just like you know you oh what a shocker <laughs> i know what a shocker right uh -huh. I, I think it's really important to say this proximity to whiteness is about power and it's about how you gain power and how you get alliances with people who have power. And so this way to do this, whether you do it religiously, you know, like, it, I mean, let's use an example from the past when Trump had Mark Burns hanging pastors, he used them as a way to prove that I'm not Silk, you know, very religious family, you know, Pentecostals, you know, they went out there on the stuff for Trump, all of this stuff. They were basically evangelists for Trump, and then you know, and they embraced all these ideals, and they were definitely not white, but they supported the white man in his quest to be that person. So I think these are kinds of things that we have to understand that whiteness and, and race are operational, very much so in the Republican Party, and also with evangelicals. Yeah, again, it's proximity to power. It's the same reason white women keep voting against their own best interests, because they exactly. see that their uh, their power is based in their connection to the white man, who is the top of the power structure. Exactly. And so they think they're retaining their own power by staying second to him, even if they're you know not benefiting themselves. We yeah. should remind people that the separation of church and state in general, you were talking about Jefferson, who has some beautiful words on this, despite his own 
storied past. Kind of interesting way. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we should remind people that the separation of church and state was set up to ensure that everyone had the freedom to practice their own religion or no religion at all without any government interference and that there would be a, a break between people's faith and people's work, our government's work. Our government should be making decisions based on logic, on data, on science, not on anyone's spiritual beliefs, because everyone has different beliefs. But yes, until right. Kellyanne Conway came along, everyone didn't have different facts, right? So right. the entire modern Republican movement focuses on who is worthy and who is not, who should have a voice and who should not, whose vote counts and whose doesn't. And at the end of the day, they seem to prefer only those who subscribe to their beliefs should be worthy of votes at all. Yeah, well, I think, you know, that's an important point. And I also think, you know, they're what we would call high boundaries. You know, they don't let anybody else in, right? You have to hew to a particular kind of line. And I think that's an issue for Democrats to think about. I'm not saying that Democrats should be rigid. What I am saying is that when you deal with Republicans and evangelicals and all of these kinds of, you know, religious groups, including Catholics that come together, they walk in lockstep, okay? They don't waver. They know what they're doing, whether they're talking about we hate CRT or we want we don't want abortion or we don't want trans kids. Everybody is on the same page, right? And so there's a sense in which there's there's two things. You know, one is it can be really fascist. But the other thing is in, in a religious kind of terminology, it becomes kind of cult-like in a way. And so with everybody spouting the same thing all the time, you know, exhibiting the same behaviors and everything. What I worry about is that we have a bunch of zealots. We have people who are, you know, really mobilized because of their belief in a way that it's not just a political belief that you can argue about, but it's a belief that you'll die for. And I think that we saw that, you know, on one six. Well, also when you add God into anything, you know, if you're doing it for God, then everything goes, right? If you Absolutely. are on the side of God, then you are good and your opponent is bad by nature. Mm -hmm. That's how it works out, right? Yeah. They're, they're spouting the same thing all the time. It also, it, it leaves no room for questioning. It leaves no room for critical thought. So if someone says, I'm not sure if we're doing the right thing, you can't speak up because then you're ostracized from your community, your church, your friend group, your business associates, the people that you do business with. And it leaves no room for people to question even if they want to, because they'll lose so much. So then they stay, like you said, in lockstep. It's really true. Yeah. When Democrats talk about being in the battle for the soul of America, I believe we're talking about standing up for things like freedom and fairness and democracy, justice, mm -hmm. feeding our better angels, the white wolf, if you will, instead of our basest instincts. The Republicans and Christian nationalists who support them they're in the battle for the soul of the nation, too, but their war is based on the idea that nation belongs to them, and they are losing ground in what they consider to be their country, so something has to be done. They're at, a, they're at war. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, and that warfare language is really prevalent right now. I think Peter Barnard had a really good piece in the New York Times this week where he talked about it being a, you know, a demographic issue. You know that there's not enough white people that are going to be around you know, in 20 to 50 years, you know, there's the push to let's make these women have some more babies. Let's, you know, make sure we get out here because we need to remain in power. And they see the shift. They see how America is changing. And I think change is always, you know, a, a fearful for people. But in this particular case, it's not just fear. The fear is driving some violence. The fear is driving, you know, sedition. The fear is driving a lot of different things. 
that you know attempt to erode our democracy. And so I think that this fear that we see on the Republican side and from a lot of religious people that you know manifests itself in these kind of moral issues is about their inability to see, to accept that people are different and people don't want to live the way that they want to live. Because listen, this is the biggest thing I think is always important to say. It's very interesting how every Republican always wants to try to tell you how to live and who you should sleep with, who you should marry, how you should dress, all of this stuff. But then you turn around and you call these people, you know, you call anybody who doesn't agree with you pedophiles, but look at all the people on their side who've been, you know, accused of molesting children or beating their wives or doing all this kind of paying for abortions that they said they didn't believe in. I mean, it's just a, it's a list of hypocrisy. And I think what we don't do is call them enough on their That statistics prove that younger generations are fundamentally less Republican, right? They're less religious, they're far more diverse, <clears throat> and I think Republicans get that. Box ...to retain their power, right? These are the people who are believing in traditional marriage, in the straight... of the world lines up very well with a lot of Christians, particularly evangelical Christians. And it's, it's this idea that America used to be good, but we strayed from the righteous path and we need to be brought back in line to save the country. And if it turns out that democracy is in the way of that, then democracy has to go, right? Republicans have found a way to use the power and influence of evangelical Christians and Christianity in general as a weapon, like you said earlier, as a weapon in their fight against democracy and in their fight against a democracy that no longer works for them. Democracy was fine, provided it held a try to shut down democracy and that's what we saw in one six that's what we continue to see in the ways in which these laws are being built in places like florida i just read a thread today about how they asked um one of the state universities in florida to list all the classes that they were teaching about crt and that used race or whatever and this is ridiculous people who have taught these things for years all of a sudden this is supposed to be scary now all of a sudden, you need to take these books out of the library that you never even read, that most of them have never read either, right? You know, Toni Morrison is terrible. Anybody who's talking about CRT is terrible. Nobody's teaching CRT to kindergartners. Nobody cares. And yeah. so I think these, are, these moral panics are, you know, ginned up. They're designed. And this is a way for Republicans to
CRT, which wasn't in elementary schools, taken out of elementary schools. We took something that wasn't there out of it. Uh, yeah. Um, but they're, now they're talking about college level professors. They're going into colleges and saying to college professors, you need to submit a list of all your courses that contain DEI information, CRT components, without any explanation of why they're doing it. Submit it to the governor's office. their funding is going to be pulled in Florida. Classes yeah. are already being canceled in anticipation of this. This is like chilling fascist behavior, but it's mm -hmm. wrapped up in the guise of something else. It's the same, the Republican Congress of Missouri, just their very first amendment under their new Republican leadership was to make stricter rules on what women could wear. And you couldn't have yeah. exposed arms anymore. And I you know, know just, keep, that's crazy, right? But this is that's very top-down religious type stuff. And you hear about yeah. other cultures that have, you know, very controlling of their women, very controlling of their education, what you can learn, what you can wear, what you can say, who you can marry. And this is this is the new America in many ways, if with these people get full control, you know? I think we can't ignore that there is a clear push for a religious takeover in America, not just from the most devout or extreme evangelical citizen. Okay. Anthea Butler. <clears throat> so let's see. I am politics girl. <laughs> And Thea Butler. <laughs> Butler. Profi. Well, I spelled Midas Touch. Somebody beat up my, I think somebody beat up my Dr. Baker yesterday, I hope, gosh, I hope not, I hope I'm wrong. CRT, tax the church, come on now, I thought 130. Donald Trump, the leader of the MAGA Republican cult, 